Welcome to Let's Be Well Together podcast. We're your wellness check-in team. We talk about different categories of wellness and seeking balance between them. There's overview info on our website, letsbewelltogether.com. This is episode 48. We hope our territorial acknowledgement improves allyship with Indigenous people within a reconciliation process. We're on the Haldeman Tract, located on the traditional territories of the Neutral, Anishinaabe, and Haudenosaunee peoples. We acknowledge the presence and traditional knowledge, laws, and philosophies of the Indigenous people with whom we share this land. I'm Julie Wilson, and I'm here with John. And I know John always pulls up these interesting articles from Instagram, Twitter, and what's a recent one you came across? You know, I follow the Mental Health Commission of Canada, it's and that's a site I like. I often find good stuff on it. One of them that came up, it had to do with quick tips to reduce anxiety. And we all face anxiety. Yes. If you're listening to this right show and you never get anxious, you're very lucky because almost all of us have periods of anxiety. Now we have different levels and we have different reactions. Um, but you know, some of us experience it at a pretty high degree at times. And so what's really great about this little this little post is that there's five tips for what you can do immediately to try and like just release the pressure a bit so that Mm -hmm. you can get control of the moment again and then five tips of what you can do when you have a little more time you know after the kind of the 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 worst part of it's over so i just wanted to go through the the five in the moment and the five later tips oh awesome okay i'm gonna take a look so in the moment and they give five tips so the first tip is breathe And on the commission site, they actually give um, an example of a breathing technique you can use. And it's called square breathing technique. So it's based on four seconds. You breathe in for four seconds. You hold it for four. Then you breathe out for four seconds. And then you hold it again. So, uh, or hold before you breathe in again. But it's all based on a four second square. Yeah, I don't actually think it's seconds. I think it's just a count. So, and the reason I say that is because, like, I don't think you need to be caught up on whether it's a full second or not. Oh, okay. It would I just be breathe yeah. in, one, two, three, four, yeah. breathe out. I mean, hold, breathe out, one, two, three, four. And what's interesting about that, there's a couple things. First of all, uh, I started doing yoga a few years ago after being afraid to take oh. it because I'm not flexible. <laughs> and I was shocked to find out how much more there is to yoga than movement. And one of the key things is bringing yourself to the moment. And one of the key ways to do that is by focusing on your breath. So I think this is a great tip. You know, if your head's spinning, you're anxious, focusing on your breath, I don't know why it works, but it does kind of bring you to the moment and it makes you feel the physical in your body. And for some reason that takes you out of that zone. And another interesting thing about that breathing technique is um, there's something in running called entrainment. Oh, And what that means is timing your footsteps to your breath. So if you want to go out for a really long, slow, relaxing run, then you're breathing, you breathe on four steps. So one, two, three, four, you're breathing in. One, two, three, four, you're breathing out. You can only do that if you're going really slow. And the faster you run, the fewer steps per breath. So if you're going really fast, it's one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so there's, there's the... Breath can really have a huge effect on your on your state of mind and your metabolism. Well, not to mention a nice deep breath, you get lots of oxygen. True. Feeding those cells. 
So what's the next one? The next one is ground yourself in the present. Yeah, and that one to me, actually, the breathing actually helps you do that. Yes. Um, Focuses on the here and the now. Let's just calm, breathe, focus. No, I agree. And some people, what they say there is like the, another technique to do that is just run through your body. I feel my head. I feel my eyes. I feel my mouth. I feel my shoulders. You know, just go through each of your parts of your body. What do you feel in them? Exactly. And I've that, been in those sessions where we've ran uh, like mindfulness sessions where, yes, focus on the individual parts of your body. So, yeah, the reason that helps me is because people worry a lot about the future and they stress a lot about what happened and they often are being concerned about things that didn't even happen and never will happen. So you're worried about, you're, you're really anxious because you've got to do something tomorrow, you've got to do a presentation and you think this is going to go wrong, that is going to go wrong and you start to spin, none of those things are going to happen. Right. So if you can just bring yourself to the moment and not worry about the terrible things that might happen or the regret over what happened in the past. You know, for me, the way that works is because, okay, whoa, just, just come back to the present moment. And that stops my head from spinning. That's a good, really good point. So the third one, remember that the feeling is temporary. And I think that's important because yeah. it will pass. I've never thought of that one. That That's a new one for me. I, I don't, I just don't think I would make that connection but i think if you if i actually stopped and said remember that the feeling is temporary this is going to pass i think that would help me it makes me think of sometimes in um, a fitness class or um where you know you've got an exercise or you're doing a plank for for one minute and i could i can hear some of the trainers go you could do anything for a minute or you could you know and so you just it drives you to, you know, like it's temporary. You could do anything for a minute and then you move on. So so that, you're, what you're talking about is if you can say, look, it's going to be over endure. Yes. That's a really great point. I like it. The next one, redirect your mind to a positive thought or activity. And that's a really good point because they, um, you often tell yourself, you know, remind yourself, say something positive every day, wake up in the morning and think of something positive, right? And do that every day. So um, just focus on a happy moment. Yeah, well, I think it would be different for everybody. Oh, 100%. But, but so for me, that is definitely one of the biggest techniques I use, which is I try and force myself to think about there's a few things that I think of that are personal that I'm not going to share. Yeah. But there's a few things that I think about and I force myself to think about it and they do actually help make me feel calmer. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, you know, the trick is you got to find the thing that works for you. And I think that brings us back to ground yourself in the, in the present because if you can find that one thing that's positive, you talk about it, you bring it to the forefront, right? And so that brings you back to here and now your breathing is bringing your breath to the present yes. you're focusing on it grounding yourself in the present is hopefully bringing your body and to the present yeah and your surround immediate surrounding and what you're doing there i think what you're saying is if you bring it if you mentally bring an image you're going to focus on that image that's in the present yeah all of these things make less room for the anxiety exactly and then the final tip is move your body of course 
Yes. That's why we talk about it all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, honestly, I'm not sure. I've never tried that. So I will try it. But I can, so I take it in a different way. Like for me, when I say move that body, if I don't include regular activity, regular exercise in my everyday life, then I start to feel off, not just physically, but mentally. Uh, but I've never tried actually, you know, just going for a brisk walk or something to try and get me past a feeling of high anxiety. So it's something I'll have to explore. I haven't either, to be honest. I think it, to me, move your body is one of the, and if we move into the, you know, when the moment passes and and you're thinking longer term, to me, a walk is more the long term. I know for me, a, a long walk is something that just reduces stress, just, you know, calms, gets rid of that anxiety. So for me, but it's interesting. Well, I um, think maybe it fits in both. Exactly. But since we're kind of getting late on time, why don't you start by just reading through? So now... We've passed the moment, we're, we're feeling okay again, not perfect, but we're past that high stress, high anxiety moment. And then these are five things that you can think about when you have more time. So why don't you read through them and maybe we'll have time to talk about one. So the five, when the moment passes and the, you're in the longer term. So the first one is reframe your thoughts. The second is talk to someone. Three, engage in leisure time and pleasurable activities. Four, practice relaxation methods. And five, cultivate healthy habits. You can take those in a lot of different directions. So for example, I think what you were just talking about, going for a walk as a long term, I would maybe fit that into five. Not that we have to pigeonhole everything. No. But I think, I think going for regular long walks is a great habit, a nice healthy habit. Yes. And we know how important habits are and developing those habits and getting into the routines. That also, routines, I think that's another un unique uh, technique for reducing anxiety, which obviously they're fitting it in there, but the, the habit forming. You have something that grounds you, right? When you develop a habit. Right. And I guess the last one just that I, I would mention, the talking to someone um, that's a message we're trying to communicate to all our listeners. You know when you feel like you want to talk to someone. And for a lot of us, myself included, I bury that usually. And I'm trying to get better at not burying it. So if you feel like you need to talk to someone, what we're asking you is to please do that. Find a way to do that. It doesn't have to be a psychiatrist. It doesn't have to be a specialist. It, it could be your friend. It could be your brother. It could be your father, it could be your mother, it could be someone close to you, but find somebody, the right person to talk to and listen to yourself when you're telling yourself you should talk to someone. I agree 100%. And I, I hope our listeners do that, that it's so important to find someone to talk to. Yeah. And I hope the more we talk about these kind of topics and more people talk about these kind of topics, it feels more normal. And we'll all feel a little less stigmatized and a little more willing to reach out for help when we need it. Exactly. Guests are giving their time. Expanding our minds. Today's interview is in many areas of wellness. We're talking about an organization that's very close to my heart, Kids Ability. To me, it reflects so well on our Waterloo and Wellington area. 
that we've developed such an amazing organization. It's proof of what people can do working together. We can achieve great things. And I'm with Linda Kenny, who's not only Chief Executive Officer of Kids Ability Center for Child Development, she's a friend too. Kids Ability is a leading provider of children's rehabilitation services in Waterloo Region and Wellington County. Prior to her appointment to Kids Ability in April 2013, Linda was CEO of the Ontario Association of Children's Rehabilitation Services, the provincial umbrella group representing all 20 children's treatment centres. A social worker by profession, Linda has worked extensively in the community services sector, having held positions with SEI Ontario, March of Dimes Canada, and Independent Living Services of Simcoe County. She has built considerable experience in service delivery, client affairs, government relations, and community and organizational development. She's dedicated to improving the lives and experiences of those who benefit from community services. Welcome, Linda. Thanks, John. So great to be here tonight. Yeah, and it's nice to be doing one in person. A lot of my interviews these days are by Zoom, so it's great to do one Absolutely. with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can just start by telling us a little bit about what Kids Ability does, what it does for kids. I think I'm really lucky when I get to talk about Kids Ability because it really is a treasure in our community. And I'm a parent, I know you're a parent, and I think the last thing that we really want to think about when we become parents is maybe our children will have some needs. And so when that happens and we recognize that a child is missing some developmental milestones or maybe their speech isn't developing properly or they've been born with some sort of condition, that's the worst feeling as a parent to feel that you absolutely, you know, have a child that needs help and you don't know where to turn. And I think the fact that we have kids' ability in this community brings a sense of well-being to so many kids and families. Because I often see families walking through the door for the very first time, really, honestly, quite scared, you know, because they don't know why they're there, they don't know what's wrong with their child. But they walk through the door, and often I get to sort of witness that they walk out the door with a sense of hope that they didn't come in with. And that doesn't always happen in one visit. But I think it is a great opportunity for families to see what kids can achieve when they just need a little extra help sometimes. And I want to be a little careful about language too. So because I want what I want to ask is things like, what kind of needs do the children have? What kind mm-hmm. of conditions or challenges? And before I do that, though, I think it's fair to say that we, we avoid things, words like disability and stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah, I think we're really sort of, our job is to really look for the ability and find the potential in every child. We don't need a diagnosis for kids to come to our services. I mean, they come because a parent or a childcare worker, a teacher, maybe a a pediatrician recognizes that something might be, there might be a need for that child. And sometimes kids come with diagnosis, but that doesn't really matter to us. We will see a child because they have a developmental need, and um, if we can meet that need, then that's that's all we need to know. And I know there are so many different kids in different situations, but what are some kind of the general needs that, that the kids face, the ones that are getting help from you? Yeah, so I think the biggest service area that we have is speech, and there are so many kids in this community, and I run into families all the time who tell me that their child came to Kids Ability for speech, and they might have been with us for you know a short amount of time, got the speech therapy that they needed and, you know, they're going on and living their lives and we don't necessarily see them again. That's our biggest service area. 
We also see a number of kids that might need a variety of services. They might need speech, occupational therapy, physiotherapy. Those are kids that tend to be with us for a longer period of time. We have more goals to work on with those kids. And probably kids with the really highest intensity of needs can be kids with autism. Those are kids that really sort of will need an intense program for a period of time, may be with us for years and years. So we've got everything from, you know, a small amount of need to a large amount of need. And altogether, that adds, adds up to about 15,000 kids a year. That's amazing. And, and obviously, we don't have time to cover all your programs. But can you give us a general sense of what, what many kids can expect when they come in terms of what kind of services and who do they meet with and how yeah. does that work? So really, kids don't actually know that they're in service when they come to KidsAbility. Wow. They think that they're coming to they have for a play date. And, you know, and they will often say that they're coming in to talk to their friend Martha or their friend Katie or they're going to play with their friend Matthew. And they don't actually realize because it's play-based therapy that they're working. And, you know, we might have them in center for about 45 minutes, but that session includes parents in the room because parents are taking those what they're learning in the class or in the therapy room, and they're taking that home and they're practicing those skills and they're working on those skills. And then they're coming back and the therapist is noting that progress and then, you know, providing some new exercises and some new toys and games and stuff to keep that child moving along on their developmental path. Wow. I never even thought about that, that the, the parents are learning something that they then apply at the home. And it just develops. Yeah. So kids are with us for maybe 45 minutes, but they're home 24 hours a day. Right. And so it's really important that it's, you know, it's family based, that it's family driven, that families feel like it's meeting their needs as well as the child's needs, because that's what's going to be successful if they feel they can implement at home as well. Okay. So it's not fair for me to ask you to pick a couple kids out of (laughs) 15,000, but can you give us kind of maybe a couple examples or even one where where a child came, had some needs, had some help, yeah. the parents also, and, and it turned around and how that made the kids and the parents feel? So, you know, we see, we hear a lot, John, about those really great cases, you know, where a child learns to take a step or say, I love you to a parent. And those are like amazing, heartwarming right. stories. But, you know, I can tell you the ones that really sort of get me are the ones where kids come and they've had you know, maybe some sensory issues, maybe some behavioral issues, something that has prevented them from maybe making friends and working well or being well with their peers. And they come and they do some work with us. And then the next thing what we hear is they got an invite to a birthday party or they got asked to someone's house for a play date. Those are just as successful as the kids who learn to take their first steps at Kids Ability. And we celebrate all that. You're right. You know, we tend to want to look for like the, the classic major. Yeah example but usually there's so many amazing smaller ones that that are big to the kids well and we know as parents you know what it's like when you help a child your own child through a heartbreak right so i think those are the ones that maybe as a parent i can relate to you know the the day that your child comes home with like their first birthday invitation in their hand and how happy and excited they are for that so i love when i hear those stories from parents yeah let me just talk a bit about the parents because in my life, I think that one of the worst feelings I, I could have is feeling helpless, not being able to help one of my kids in a situation, whatever that mm-hmm. might be. Yeah. So I just can't imagine some of the parents who must have felt helpless and then they find out about this. Do you have any any stories that you can remember or any anecdotes with a parent who, who when things turned around, just had a changed view of things? 
whenever you realize that your child may have a need that you did not expect, there's a lot of change that happens in a family and a lot of change that happens, I think, between or amongst family members with that. Our social workers do a really great job in helping families reclaim those dreams. And maybe those dreams are like way different than what they thought they were going to be. But whenever you can truly see the potential in your child, and maybe it's different than you thought it was going to be on the day that the child was born. But I love those stories where, you know, parents are just celebrating every time we call them, you know, I used to call them inch stones instead of milestones, because for some kids, that's exactly what it is. Like you, you mark every single little progress along the way. Well, that's amazing. And then, you know, I have to at least ask, because I know that this is expensive treatment and you need help from a bunch of different sources. As CEO, you, you've got your finger on the financial pulse. <laughs> pulse. So yeah. where, does, where does the financing come for something like this? So we are largely funded by the Ontario government, the Ministry of Children and Community Services. But I will say that the funding that we get does not keep pace with the need. We're really lucky in this community because we are really well served by the community. We have a foundation that um, asks our community to step up and help kids and they come through like all the time. It is totally amazing. At any given point, I would say 10 to 12% of our budget comes from donations. And that allows us to do things that we would not be able to do for kids and families without that support. But in addition to that, I mean, the part that's hard about my job is the kids that are sitting on a wait list, the kids that need to come through the door and we just can't let them in because we don't have the resources. And so we're continually talking to government about the need. We're continually talking to our community about the need and we're doing everything we can to stretch every dollar to make sure that, you know, it gets us as many kids through the doors as possible. So if you're helping about 15,000 kids, I take that, is it in a year? Yeah, that's right. And would there be a waiting list for more kids waiting? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I think the number of kids waiting is sort of, it's it's a factor, but I think the length of time that they wait is a more important consideration because you can have... 2,000 kids waiting, but if they wait the right amount of time, it's different than you have a small number of kids waiting, but they're waiting far too long to get what they need. So unfortunately, right now we have a perfect storm. We have too many kids waiting and they're waiting too long. That's the hardest part for our therapists. That's the hardest part for our administrative staff is to have to sort of say to a family, we know you need us and we have to ask you to wait. And what would be kind of too long like what if you're in a kind of a sweet spot how quickly are kids moving from getting on a list and getting well I think it depends what they need like the kids with the greatest needs get in sooner I will say that for sure but you know if you if you identify a child that um, has a speech need for example and that child sits on a wait list for six months if they're two years old that's a quarter of their life right and the longer that they wait, the further away they get from those developmental milestones and we we just really hate when that has to happen I know it's maybe not the right analogy, but I, I remember when my kids were really young, they took, took some languages and they just picked it up so fast, yeah, right? Yeah. And it makes me wonder, is there a kind of like a sweet spot at a kid's age too, where if you get treatment in that window, it makes a much bigger difference. So it's easier to teach them then than two or three years down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't want to speak for, from a clinician's right. perspective, because yeah, like that that's not my area of expertise. But I think there is... There's a lot of validity in that statement. And we know that early intervention pays out. 
And, you know, so if you can get a child, for example, with a speech need or a sensory need or something, and you get that need met early, they're going to have better likelihood that they're going to make a better transition to school and they're going to have better educational outcomes and they're going to have better social outcomes. And like, I think there is absolutely evidence that supports early intervention works best for everybody. Okay, so I warned you that time was going to fly in it. <laughs> I say this. Well, it's interview. always great having a conversation with you, John. So. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. So, but but before I turn to my last question, a couple things. So, if somebody does feel inclined to try and find a way to help you, how do they find you? The, the organization that they can donate to. And secondly, is there anything else you wanted to tell us before I move on to a different topic? So I would um, absolutely invite people to find us through our website, kidsvility.ca. We have a really amazing foundation that does great work getting the word out about kids' ability, the need, and some of the great stuff that's happening um, within our walls, and, and I guess now in this new world beyond our walls. So I think that's a great way to go. We have lots of organizations in the community that will do like what we call third-party fundraisers. Rotary is a really great example. I know that's where you and I met, John, was through Rotary. And and the Rotary clubs in this community are really great at doing fundraisers and then providing the proceeds to kill kids' ability. But lots of like employee groups do that kind of thing, you know, neighborhood groups, those kinds of things. We're, we'll talk to anybody about um, their interest in the work that we're doing because we think it's such a great cause. Amazing. Yeah, there were so many. I did get connected through Rotary yeah. and I was at different events and I just came to love it so much. And in one event that we did do that I really loved is there's a summer kind of fair every year. That's right. Yeah. Um, where kids are on rides when they're doing art, when yeah. they're doing all kinds of stuff. And we volunteer and just watch and smile. Yeah. Yeah. We're really hoping that event comes back in the spring. Now that COVID's coming to an end, hopefully. <laughs> okay. Well, look, I'm going to kind of catch you off guard. Maybe uh, we ask every guest the same question in a context where we, all have areas of wellness that are important to us, but not enough time in any given day to deal with them all at once. So sometimes some languish. So we do this mini wellness check-in. So here's my question. Are you currently neglecting an area of wellness in your life? And if so, can you think of even one thing you can do to foster wellness in that area? So I would say, like many, after, I don't know, it feels like forever, but maybe three years of sort of this pandemic, I would say I'm really tired. Yeah, I get and, that. And I think, you know, if there's an area that I feel is really problematic for me, it's like good replenishing sleep, good replenishing rest. Like, how do you do that so that you sort of wake up the next day ready to, you know, really feel like you're full of energy? And, and that's a problem. I find that a bit of a challenge. And you know, I try doing all sorts of things to sort of, you know, I follow all the advice about taking off screen time before you go to bed and, you know, listening to uh, meditations or stuff, but it doesn't always work for me. So um, that's a big area of concern for, and focus for me is to try and figure out how do I get better sleep? I get it. And I don't know, like, I'm not a doctor, I can't figure it out. But I, I think because we're always turned on, like yeah. we don't turn off the same yeah. way we used yeah. to. Yeah. And maybe that makes it harder to sleep. But I've been lucky. Sheila got a job where she starts work at seven in the morning a lot of days. Yeah. And so she started going to bed really early. And I begrudgingly have been doing that most of the time, although lately I've kind of fallen off and I'm paying for it. And <laughs> I do find that it makes such a huge difference if I actually make myself go to bed early and I do wake up replenished. So yeah. it's tough though. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I think Thank it's a you. challenge for all of us. And thanks so much for dropping by. I'm going to have you back again soon. 
and we'll talk to you then. Thanks. A quick note for new listeners who don't know the approach to wellness and balance in my book, Accidentally Well by John Webster, please consider reading it. It's a three-step approach. First, I identified categories of wellness that are important to me. Second, I'm figuring out activities that foster wellness in each area. Third, I do a wellness check-in from time to time, especially if I'm feeling off. Join us for the ride as I explore this approach in the podcast and co-hosts explore their perspectives. I'm Cameron, and welcome back to another installment of The Adventures of the Starving Artist. Today is a quick segment about uh, one of those things that comes up on you, sneaks up on you, in a good way. So earlier this year, um, it was brought to my attention that the city of Ottawa, which is where I'm living right now, was doing a thing where they were basically putting out feelers to the musicians in the community here that said, hey, if you live in Ottawa and you've got some music out there, why don't you submit it for consideration for the city hold music? So you know when you call someone like the cable company or whatever, or the city in this case, right? And you get the hold music in between switchboards. Sometimes it's pretty brutal stuff. And so I thought it was a kind of cool initiative that Ottawa would take local musicians and take their songs and put that as the hold music. Pretty cool, right? So I thought I would take a shot at it. And I submitted a couple of my tunes. And about a week and a half, two weeks later, I got an email back that basically said, thanks, but no thanks. And that's okay, you know. I didn't get my hopes up super high. And getting rejected is part of the gig, you know. It just leads you to the next one, so you just roll with it. And I kind of just put it to the side after that point. I thought, oh, you know, I took a shot at it. Gretzky says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. At least I took the shot, right? And I moved on. So a couple months went by, I hadn't thought anything of it, and then yesterday, I got an email that said, hey, by the way, the city of Ottawa has added one of your songs to our playlist. You can check it out here. So I did, and sure enough, they added my song, It's All the Same, to the uh, City Sounds playlist for 2022. So that's kind of cool. An unexpected win that snuck up on me out of nowhere. I guess it just goes to show that uh, even when you put something to bed and you think it's all finished... Other people have other plans. And in this case, those plans worked out in my favor just a little bit. So that's the City of Ottawa 2022 City Sounds playlist. You can find it on SoundCloud. Um, if you just search up for City of Ottawa or hashtag Ott Music, that's O-T-T, um, it comes up. So a cool little win for me there that came out of the blue. Not so bad. That's it. Short and sweet today. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Cameron. This is The Starving Artist. Until next time. We love our listeners and thanks for joining us. Please help spread the word about Let's Be Well Together podcast. Follow us and rate us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Instagram at let's.be.well.together and let your friends know about us. Move that body like we're meant to do. I enjoy talking to people about any form of exercise, 
making it part of our everyday life, keeping us active, which helps us in all areas of wellness. But I really like it when I talk to people about something I don't do and don't know anything about. And tonight I get to talk to Sydney Stortini about two things I've never done, wakeboarding and paddleboarding. Hi, Sydney. Hi, nice to get to know you and be on this podcast today. Welcome. I'm so glad that you could be here and thanks for volunteering. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about wakeboarding and paddleboarding. I know they're quite different. So why don't you just give me kind of an overview sense of each? Wakeboarding is one of my favorite summer sports to do. We tend to do it up at my uncle's cottage or at our old cottage. And basically the way it starts is you have a board in the water. You're not necessarily strapped into it. And then the boat has a rope attached to it. And then you have the handle of the rope in your hands and you just have to press your feet into the board once the boat starts to take off and you put your weight into the board and it lifts you right up and you're just gliding along the waves and you can go in and out of the wake and do some turns with the rope and it's pretty fun. And what about paddleboarding? So paddleboarding is definitely a lot more calm. You get to either stand on the board or sit on the board. Sitting on the board definitely has more balance to it. And you just take the paddle and you get to just go along the water, usually stay closer to the shoreline because it's a lot harder to paddle further away. It's much more relaxing. When I think of paddleboarding, I often think of people standing up. I didn't realize you could sit down and paddle. That sounds fun too. Yeah, it is. Especially if you're in little creeks or something and going under a little bridge, you can just kind of duck and sit on the board or lay down on it if you want to. I can tell what muscles I'd use if I was paddleboarding. I can get a sense of it because I've gone canoeing and stuff. What For about, sure, yeah. What about wakeboarding? Do you, you, do you need to be in shape? Do you need to use your muscles? Does it help? Yeah, wakeboarding is definitely a sport where you need some muscles. Your quads and your core need to be engaged so that you're pulling yourself out of the water and using that momentum to keep yourself balanced. It's definitely in the legs that you need to be using a lot of muscle to keep that balance. I get a sense that you'd enjoy different things from these different exercises. What do you like about each? I find wakeboarding gives you more of an adrenaline feeling. It's definitely a quick moment and you get to just glide along the water. It, it doesn't really feel like anything else. Like There's no other sport that really relates to it. When it comes to paddleboarding, it's more relaxing and calm and you get to really take in the scenery. Sometimes you see ducks floating in the water or you can look in and see some fish swimming around. So it's a lot more relaxing and you definitely get to see a lot more things that are happening around you. I love the idea of living in the moment and I'm guessing that in each you're living in the moment in a different way. So here's my guess that when you're wakeboarding, you're kind of really concentrating on what you're doing, keeping your balance. But when you're paddleboarding, you can be in the moment in terms of the nature that's around you and like the noises. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely the difference between a quick moment of you're seeing everything flash beside you super fast and you're just focusing on your body movement with wakeboarding, whereas paddleboarding is much slower. You can take your time and move with the water. That sounds like a lot of fun. And how do you stop when you're wakeboarding? You just like let go of the rope and you sink? What happens? Yeah, so either you hit the wave wrong and it just kind of wipes you out and takes the board with you, or if you're just tired, let go of the rope and you just slowly sink into the water. Oh, wow. Well, both of those sound like a lot of fun, and I'm glad you came on to share your story about it. 
Thank you. And I do want to get you back because I know you also like going to the gym and doing some other stuff and we'll talk about that yeah. on the next time. Yeah. I definitely enjoy being active and doing that type of stuff as well. Amazing. Thanks. There's a thought. Popped up while running. I'm back to a theme that I've mentioned before and I'll come back to often, which is that when I started this podcast up, my hope was to share an idea that I had about the wellness check-in and the categories, etc. Also, I could talk to the team members about their approach to wellness and together we could be on this journey and you were invited to ride along and listen to us chat and try and figure things out. In that context, I had the impression that I already had my idea as if it was a static thing. And as I've said before, it's been amazing because talking to guests, I keep finding really important pieces to the puzzle that are making me understand things a lot better and helping me to develop my approach to wellness. Recently, on episode 43, I had another major breakthrough. It's because Al Torchman came and talked about Stephen Covey's Four Quadrants which is something that's been around for a long, long time, and I just hadn't known about it. I invite you to go back and listen to the interview in episode 43, but in essence, he breaks um, these quadrants down using the axis urgent and not urgent, important and not important. And that helps me explain the difference between the whack-a-mole approach to wellness and the more thoughtful approach to wellness that I'm trying now. And the whack-a-mole approach, of course, is you're dealing with things that are urgent and important. They pop up in front of you and you have to deal with them and you do. But you don't actually take time when things aren't urgent to figure out a better approach and to develop yourself so that you're in a better position to either avoid the kind of problems that pop up in our game of whack-a-mole of life or to deal with them in a better way. I realize I spent a lot of my time dealing with urgent, not important stuff. The mere fact that it's urgent makes me think it's important, and I waste time there. And so part of my game of whack-a-mole is dealing with things that aren't as big of an issue or aren't as much of a priority. And then Al pointed out that really where you want to make sure you take time, make time for, is not urgent and important things. Things like preparing and planning, setting priorities, relationship building, true recreation. And that's now where I see my approach to wellness largely fits in in kind of the development stage. So you start off by figuring out what your areas of wellness are. You need time to do that. It's not urgent. So I would consider that important, not urgent category. You need time to figure out what activities foster wellness in those areas, which are the facet activities. Again, it's really important, maybe not urgent, but you have to make time for them as building blocks and to develop resilience. Where does the wellness check-in fit in? So the wellness check-in is you're either feeling off or you're just checking in. Something's wrong. You've got your bullet point lists of your facet activities. You take a look and you see, oh shoot, what am I missing? What areas of wellness am I not paying attention to? And you try and find a way to build them back in so you get a little bit better balance. And at the same time, there's an upside to doing that, which is you're Maybe you're focused on some negative stuff, but you can see all the good stuff that's going on in your life, and that makes you feel a bit better. And I think that you could do that check-in both in the important urgent quadrant, but also the important not urgent quadrant. So usually you're doing it when you have time, the John Kennedy expression, you're, you're fixing the roof when it's sunny outside, and that's good. 
You're checking in when you have time to think. But lots of times in life, we're thrown into a crisis, and that crisis is the very thing that upsets our balance. What I see now is that one of the urgent and important things I have to do is stop the spinning, stop being distracted by the crisis, stop for a moment as an urgent and important thing to do, do a wellness check-in. I just love the idea. I'm really glad that I'm doing the podcast. I'm really glad I'm talking to so many people with so many amazing things to say. And this has been another bit, one of those little breakthroughs. Just let me say, flip side of the coin. So I've been stockpiling a bunch of articles Mm -hmm. that we can talk about either on what's on your mind or flip side. And I don't know, it's kind of loosey goosey, which is goes on which. Right. This one definitely is a flip side because Sheila does not quit. No, I do not quit like ever. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure I've quit a few times, but no, I'm... I'm very much, if you commit to something, you've got to do it. And I'm pretty stubborn too. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so when I came across this article, and, and I can't actually think of an example in our life that fits what this article is saying, but I thought, hmm, I better stop and think about this because it's probably a danger area for me and probably for Sheila. Yeah. And probably for our kids because, yeah. you know, we've been We've ingrained them into thinking that they can't quit. But I just realized when you said that you're a stubborn, I... You said you were stubborn too. And then I was like, yeah, so that's acknowledging that I'm stubborn? Uh, yeah, <laughs> extremely stubborn. That's why this is called flip side in part. <laughs> Don't agree. The most stubborn. No. <laughs> so I came across this article and I think it was from CNN. Well, it says by Megan Marple's CNN. It's called, you may have a lot more to lose from not quitting than you think, experts say. And I don't like double negatives, but essentially this is saying, sometimes you need to think about quitting. Right. So the backdrop for the story, won't go over the whole thing, but somebody was training for a marathon. He started to have pain in his foot, but he decides to soldier through. He's going to run this marathon. He keeps going. He starts to run the marathon and he's unable to complete it. And then when they finally test him he has a hairline fracture in his foot right so he should have stopped a lot sooner Sooner, yeah might not have had a hairline fracture yeah and one of the things this article says is people who refuse to give up on one goal may not realize their decision could be taking a toll on their health and well-being and could be potentially at a greater cost than quitting and i just think that's intriguing because you know i i can think of some examples where it almost cost us but for the most part, we just don't like to, to quit. We don't like to give up. Well, no. And and the way I consider it is I, if I commit to something, I'd like to do it. And then usually when I'm committing to something, it's not like a forever goal, you know, that I'm committing to this for life. But then when I finish it, then I'll kind of reevaluate and decide whether I should continue doing this or not or et cetera, et cetera. Because it kind of reminds me of um, when I started taking piano lessons, I my mom's a piano teacher and I never took piano lessons because she couldn't afford the time to teach us because if she was teaching someone, she needed to get paid for it. So I decided after I retired from dance that I wanted to take piano lessons. And so I did. I started taking it and I and I realized how hard it was. It was so difficult. I know. I, and, <laughs> and just to jump in for a sec, I remember coming home and because we had a piano in the house yeah and i would come home from work and i would hear piano being played and it sounded like a child was playing a piano yeah because that's just the way you start so weird when i walked downstairs and i saw that it was you at the piano and of course it makes sense because that's how you start but 
you just don't picture an adult playing piano because that sound to me <laughs> yeah, is... Yeah, twinkle, twinkle. It's just <laughs> I it's learned connected birthday. to the little kids. Yeah, yeah. And so I was practicing and you had to practice all the time and it was so, so much time commitment. And then after a few years, I reevaluated and decided, why am I doing this? And what am I... And, and, and then, of course, the piano got taken away. So that really solved my problem of True. having to commit. But, but were you embarrassed by stopping? no. No, I just decided that it was a huge time commitment. I thought I could spend my time other ways. I wasn't getting out of it as much as I was. I was, it, I was getting a lot out of it because I was learning a lot, but I uh, didn't think that it would be beneficial to my overall wellness. Okay, sure. <laughs> you quit. <laughs> I quit. But the article was interesting because the, the marathon runner who didn't finish the marathon, and so now he's not a marathoner, he was embarrassed to tell his friends what happened, but he told his friends what happened and found that a lot of them were really supportive and a lot of them ended up telling their own injury stories. Yeah. So it I'm wasn't sure. that bad. And in my life too, like there was a marathon where I definitely should have quit, which was in Montreal. Yes, definitely. And, you know, it's in my book. I'm not going to, you know, read the book if you want to read the story, but it's pretty bad. And I, it's, I didn't want to write it down. Like I, I told Sheila, but I didn't. And so when she read the first version of the manuscript, she's like, this is bullshit, John. <laughs> yeah. You are not telling them what happened. And I'm like, I don't want to tell them what happened. It's too embarrassing that I didn't quit. Yeah. And then it, then the next one, it still wasn't enough. And the next one, it still, and then it got better. You, you eventually, yeah, eventually got it I, enough into it. Yeah. And that's as far as I can go. I can't say more about it. Right. Read the book. It was a pretty harrowing experience. Yeah, but so what I really like about this article is that um, it, it, gives you, it gives you a test to think about. And it really ties in perfectly with my wellness check-in. Yeah. And so what the test says is, there are some questions you can ask yourself to decide when it's time to move on. And sorry, by the way, just before I go on, there's another story in the article. It says, think about a couple who's trying to have a baby through, say, in vitro fertilization or something like that. Yeah. And they spend years of time and anguish and money and mm -hmm. savings. Mm -hmm. Financial wellness. And, and they just won't quit. Mental wellness. And how hard must that be? Obviously, Physical. we're very empathetic to a couple in that scenario. Yeah. But the, the idea is there's some questions you can ask yourself to decide when it's time to move on. And ask yourself what you're sacrificing by not giving up on a life goal. If you're compromising your physical and mental health, it may be time to call quits. And to me, that ties perfectly into the wellness check-in, which yeah. is every once in a while, you got to sit back and say, how am I going to get balance in my life? Like, what, where am I off balance? Yep. And if you're overemphasizing one particular goal that you just can't give up on, mm -hmm. you may be making a trade-off that you don't see yeah. in all other areas of wellness. Yeah. So I just thought it was a fascinating article, and I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, it really enlightened me, that's for sure. Please remember that we're not providing advice. We hope to inspire you to work towards balance, and we urge you to consult with qualified people if you need advice. The people on the show are speaking in their personal capacities. Their views expressed are their own, and don't represent the views or opinions of their outside contacts, their employers, or anyone else. We try to get things right, but we can't guarantee everything we say is correct, or that the things we talk about will work for you. Let's be well together, and let's be sure to do that in a safe way. It's sign-off time, and it's John and Sheila. Hi. It's the holidays, and so we didn't want to interfere with other people's family time. We're doing a quick sign-off, which is the two of us this week. Mm -hmm. So, Sheila, what are you up to? Well, I just wanted to comment on uh, last week I had some friends over. Since we've moved to Kitchener, I was trying to connect with some of my Kitchener friends, and these particular women 
there were six of them I went to grade school with. So, Can I just jump in for a second? Yeah. But actually, this was not this past week, the week before. Right. We I, just forgot to mention it somehow. <laughs> I know. Oops. Sometimes that happens. But yeah, so two weeks ago, and I got together with these grade school friends. I tried to connect when I got here, but, you know, people change their names and they're not all online or whatever. So I couldn't connect. And I just happened to... Plus, what are the odds of connecting? I can get high school, but connecting with five, six people from grade school, that's crazy. And the fact that they're all still in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, you know, it was amazing. So I had a wonderful brunch with them and hopefully we see each other once a month. And that was just fabulous. And now it's Christmas and I don't know what everyone else's weather is like, but here we had a little bit of a blizzard. So a lot of driving got canceled and and a lot of plans got rearranged. So we are dealing with that. I hope you're all having a lot of great family time during this uh, holiday. And what about you, John? Well, I'm one of those people who is having a lot of great family time. You're right. We haven't connected with all the people we wanted to connect with already Mm -hmm. because we've switched the schedule up a bit. We're doing this on Boxing Day. Mm -hmm. We would have been meeting with some of our family a couple days ago, but we're now going to do that today. So that'll be great. Yeah, hopefully. But just hopefully they'll all be here. Yeah, that's true because some of the roads are still closed. Yeah. Now, I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of year. Yeah, I think it is my favorite. I think it is mine too. So I'm really enjoying it. Plus the way the holidays work this year, it's a really nice break. It just flows in a nice way. So you really feel like you have time off. We went to a family sing song last night that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Sheila has lots of brothers and sisters and we we all go over to one of their houses and her mom plays the piano and we all sing. It's Mm -hmm. hilarious Mm -hmm. and fun. (laughs) Lots of laughter. I also, I'm a really kind of nut when it comes to making playlists i'm always i'm a big music person Uh so i made a christmas playlist it's got kind of newer stuff not too many of the super old ones something that's really nice to play in the background if anyone wants to listen to it it's on spotify you'd have to do a search for christmas gt capital g capital t it's hard to find but if you can find one that says christmas gt with a picture of a snowman on the left and santa on the right that's the one we made yeah no not we you I mean, yeah, but you gave me lots of input. <laughs> For sure. I, I might have said no, yeah, no, yeah. So I'm just kicking back, enjoying this season, feeling really refreshed, feeling like I'm probably eating a little too much junk food. Mm-hmm. So Tis the season. Kick things back into gear on the exercise. Well, let's do it front. in the new year. Let's yeah. wait a little bit longer. But for now, just enjoy it. Enjoy the family time and I hope all our listeners are doing the same thing. Agreed. That is it for today's show. Please try and make wellness a priority. You deserve it. If you feel the need to talk to someone or ask for help, please do that. Accept yourself for the person you are. So long. Adieu. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye.